please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. I've actually thought about this uh, because I am also a recovering sex addict and I know what rock bottom um, in that regard feels like. And so I have struggled thinking, oh, like was November my rock bottom because I had to go to a clinic or was going to a clinic me just recognizing like, oh, this is bigger than myself. So this is the smart and logical thing. I know that, so I attempted suicide in 2012, or the, sorry, the end of 2011. And um, I obviously failed, you know? And so technically sometimes I think after, or after that, when I started therapy and then stopped going to therapy because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm cured, that, technically could be considered my rock bottom because it was me it was me uh what's the word I'm looking for uh tricking myself or lying to myself you know um and if I would have just kept going to therapy I would I assume I'd be in a different position right now but um yeah so I actually take a different perspective every time that I've reached out for help it obviously followed a moment that was gravely bad and dangerous, but it was just the catalyst to me doing a very mature and responsible thing for myself. So it's really hard for me to equate rock bottom to the responsibility of, of getting help because I equate rock, rock bottom to like, oh girl, like this is not a good look. My name is Sarah Hips, and I have major depressive disorder and anxiety. So uh, in November, I actually went to the Mental Health Center of Colorado on Colfax and talked to someone there. And he actually suggested that I go to one of the uh, walk-in clinics, the one that's out in Aurora Fitzsimmons uh, walk-in clinic. And I spent four days there being able to talk to a prescriber and talk to obviously like a therapist and do group therapy. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but honestly, obviously the best thing. Uh, so now I'm able to be on meds every day and it's, um, having a formal diagnosis has, uh, greatly improved my life and taken so much pressure off of me. So Yeah. We've all heard people, oh, I'm just so depressed or I'm just being depressed or whatever. And it's a word that people kind of throw around with the idea that it's something you can, you should or can just jump out of. And so for pretty much 20 years of my life, I was spending feeling this way and then trying to make myself no longer be depressed. And I think it's kind of the equivalent. I always like to reference like diabetes or um, you know, like a, a disease that you live with where if you know you have diabetes, 
you just think, oh, I guess I should just try to eat better. But the fact is, is that once you have diabetes, you know, there are le uh, legit steps and things that you need to do and that you can do. So your fatigue or your sickness isn't because of you doing something wrong. It's because you're not managing um, your disease correctly. So um, having that diagnosis for me, it kind of took the pressure off of my shoulders in the fact that I could no longer expect myself to just demand to feel better or be happier. I realized that I was just not managing a disease properly and I just needed the medication and that changes the game completely. So it's about having, I think, a little bit more grace for yourself, not an excuse, but just grace. recently dealt with a breakup and I really hate that fact because this singular person did not have that much power over me. But given the proximity and time, it I know it can come across otherwise, right? Um, really, and I actually have been really ha hitting a few great epiphanies recently with my therapist. So it's great to now have some more information um, about myself to be able to share, share with you guys. But, you know, my father separated from my mother when I was 13 and I had disclosed to my father at 14, like, I think about, uh, harming myself. I think about killing myself. And my dad completely just like kind of dismissed it, you know, and being, um, well, this is also very timely. Being uh, a black person, we just don't take mental health that seriously. It's kind of like, Oh, that's like a white person thing. Like you're, you're, you're fine. You have too much to worry about other than being sad, you know, like, and, um, so in our family, it's crazy. Cause after I got my formal diagnosis in November and I told my mom about the medication I take and she was like, well, I didn't tell your aunts or whatever. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. She actually ended up telling a few of them and half of my extended family takes the same medication I take. And I was like, oh, this would have been great to find out, you know, like, um, and so like, that's kind of the, 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 uh, idea or the, the environment I was raised in. I was very supported, but I was, there was a lot going on. And unfortunately through all of high school, um, and into college, I kind of just felt a little bit abandoned by all members of my family. And it's, that's something that we're working on right now where, I do not blame anybody for it. It's just all of us were kind of thrown into a situation that none of us were mentally or emotionally really capable of handling. And unfortunately, the youngest, you know, 13 year old girl made to handle a lot of it. And so um, when I got to college, I actually was sexually assaulted twice um, or right before college. And then one month later, when I got to college and um, it was kind of the genesis, like I've done my recovery work of my, where my sex addiction came from, but a lot of my relationships and the way I viewed myself was all of my failures were my fault. Um, my inability to be strong, to make decisions or to be better or not feel sad about breakups or all those things were my fault. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, I kind of have always been chasing men that were very much like my father, um, which kind of always 
put me back in that place of and so I think what happened in 2011 was just I I hit a wall you know of trying to run away from a lot of stuff and not processing it and not dealing with it and then suddenly I was just like man I'm tired and that's kind of been the theme every single time I have gotten into really deep depression the thing I repeat nonstop is I'm very tired. Um, and so that's kind of where I was in 2011. So um, after I attempted suicide in 2011, uh, quite literally, I woke up and I it was Sunday. And I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't planning on being here, but I guess I should get the laundry done so I could go to work tomorrow. you know. And then I got to work and I literally just like opened the, the medical directory we had and called a therapist that day. So I was like, okay, I can't, it would be so irresponsible for me to go home and just act like my weekend plans were not there. Um, and then I went to therapy for a number of years and then she directed me to uh, SAA. And I, after I moved here to Denver, I didn't seek therapy. I stayed in SAA and then I actually relapsed. And it's been a very tough <laughs> four years. And I've been here for five years now. And the clinic um or actually what just preceded me going to the the um mental health center of colorado was calling the suicide hotline and that was probably i guess really the second time that i asked for formal assistance um i'm sure that there are a thousand times in between where i called a friend or you know um but yeah that was just the, the second time to this day, when I talk to my family about therapy, I'm the only one in my family that, that yes, in my family that has gone to an actual therapist. My mom for a period of time went to a Christian counselor, but um, I will talk to every member of my family and every single one of them has said, I probably need to talk to a therapist. And I go, okay, go to one. And they go, um, I'm okay. You know? And so it's, it's to me, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But I mean, even, um, I think it was like six years ago, I actually told my brother for the first time I was talking to him and his wife and his wife is white. And so she has been able to like get in touch with it so much more. And I disclosed, Oh, I actually attempted killing myself, you know, a few years back. And she goes, Oh, Sarah, I'm so sorry. I'm so happy that you went to get help. And my brother stood up and he goes, I just remembered I didn't pick up the roast for dinner. And then he just left. And I was like, fair enough. And my sister's like, or sister-in-law, like, you know, he cares. I'm like, no, I know. I know. He just doesn't know what to do with that information, you know? Um, and even like when I went into like sex addiction uh, recovery, I talked to my mom. I, I was like, hey, I want to hold myself accountable. I'm letting you know uh, this is a part of my life. I'm in recovery now. And my mom asked, uh, do you really need that? Uh, it's not like you're an alcoholic, uh, but also have you just thought about wearing pants more often? Uh, you know, and I was like, that's fair, ma. You got, I didn't actually think about that. It's all the skirts, you know, like, and so like, I love, I love my family to death, but you know, it's been actively said to my, my members of my family, you know, um, therapy is for white people. Uh, being depressed is for white people. You have enough to handle you don't have to be like depression is not a thing we get the time to to deal with 
And I know that like the idea also is that therapy and all those things um, can be to old school uh, people of all uh, nationalities and races, but also very much so to like white people or black people. Um, it's expensive and uh, therapy and depression are for people who have nothing else. So like you're creating an issue to be sad about. exactly the conversation that I had with my my family. So um, like I said, no one had communicated to anybody else that they were taking antidepressants until Sarah, you know, is like, hey, so I take antidepressants. And then suddenly my aunt's like, wait, Sarah does? Um, what does she take? Oh, she takes Lexapro? Um, I haven't told anybody, but I take Lexapro. And then like, you know, it goes through the family and it just took one person to speak up about it. Right. But then the other side is I have tried to describe depression to my parents so much for so many years. Right. And then I get a diagnosis. And that's the other reason why I said it, uh, going to the clinic and having a formal diagnosis, uh, took some of the pressure off of me. It's because I've been describing depression and mental health to my parents for so long. And then I tell them about my diagnosis and I'm not joking. Both of them, they go, oh, so this is like, I read about this after you went into the clinic. And did you know, it's just a chemical thing in your brain. I said, yes, I happened to know that. And they go, so, and sometimes it's hormonal. So that's why the medication is good because you just need it. It's like, if you had an illness, I was like, like, the illness I have, you know, yes, you know, like, so like, and so now, like, my parents are just so, like, on board, they're like, hey, are you taking your meds, are you managing things good, you have to remember, it's like, if you have an illness, I go, yes, I, I'm acutely remembering this, thank you, you know, so the diagnosis also helped them, my dad now, he always, he's like, uh, when I see an article about depression, I click on it, and so I can read about it, I'm like, thank you, Father. I appreciate that. So, so one of the biggest things that we just kind of discovered was the fact that when my uh, father moved out, he moved out a week before my brother went back to college and then my sister left for her freshman year in college. And so it was just me and my mom. And, um, you know, unfortunately I, I fortunately and unfortunately my mom struggled obviously with the decision of my dad deciding to leave. And so I kind of took a lot of responsibility and, and took care of my mom a bit more than maybe, well, not maybe than should have been for, uh, someone that age. And I'm happy that I was able to be there for my mom. But at the same time, I am now kind of the person that is the go-between for everybody in my family. And I have also gotten very much into a space where, um, because I had to show up for my mom for those four years and ultimately also for my dad, I and my brother and my sister kind of stopped coming home. So it was uh, just me and her for, for all four years. I really didn't process anything because I was like, well, I don't have the time to process it right now. I'll process it later. I'll deal with it later. And that has been the one thing that has been recurrent 
all the way from for the past 21 years. And so it's something that I do in all of my relationships. You know, if a guy doesn't show up for me, I go, well, you know, I mean, it's okay. Cause technically he's busy or I knew he was like this or whatever. And so I kind of have just constantly been putting myself, um, second. And even with like my parents, like I just, my therapist is now getting me to like set boundaries with my family and my parents and it's constant work. And it feels exciting for me. I'm someone who's a little bit weird in terms of like what I get excited about, but it's exciting for me right now to, to know like, okay, this is the problem. Like it's, this won't fix my depression or my anxiety, but this is what really exasperates it. And it's not fair that I continuously don't process my own stuff because when I don't, then, I mean, it's the same as if you just never clean out the length of a wash or a dryer machine, it's going to catch on fire, you know, like, and that's pretty much what happens with me where I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then suddenly I'm like, ah, you know, like, and I'm, I'm not taking my meds. I'm out of control, you know? So, um, I think, I think understanding the idea of processing, um, has been such a big breakthrough. And, uh, again, like I said, just like, knowing for sure, like being able to say, instead of for all these years of like, well, I suffer from depression. And then people are like, oh, like what medication do you take? Well, I've never gotten it diagnosed, but you know, it's been so long. And like, to now just be able to like, I, I almost like I can own it better. Like, you know, I have major depressive disorder and like, this is a thing every single day. And so, um, yeah, those have been, that's probably been like the best breakthrough for me. these boundaries with my uh with my family and other people um pretty much my friend was the one that gave me a, a simple action she said if you are about to say but it's okay don't because it's more than likely not okay you, it's okay for you to own and to call someone out on them not doing something correctly if i'm late when I said I would be on time, don't say, it's okay, I get it, traffic was probably bad. She goes, no, say, you said you were gonna be here at two. And I, I instinctively, but I mean, sometimes, and she goes, no, 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 there's no buts. There's just you expecting people to show up for you like the way you deserve and the way that they say they will. And so, you know, I've had a conversation with my mother regarding my dad's wife's son technically my stepbrother but we don't like to use those crazy labels um and i was talking to my mom about it and she kind of jumped all over me and asserted her own feelings and opinions and i had to like typically i go oh in my head you know mom is sensitive about this and that's just kind of what it is and like you can let her talk and it really doesn't matter and instead i go Mom, you are violating a boundary. I am allowed to have any feelings I have and you and your feelings cannot factor in this. And she actually stopped herself. She said, you, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. And it felt so good. Like, cause to be like, wow, like you, I said something and it didn't drive you away. It didn't make you come at me more aggressively. Like you just heard me and then you respected me. And like, that's so crazy, you know, like, and it, it, I think one of the things that 
a lot of people who suffer from depression sometimes do is think if they if they push someone just a smidge, they're going to push that person fully away. And we need people like even though it can be hard to say, hey, I need you. It's we need we need that, you know, and so it can sometimes be this really tough um, finding a middle ground when you're in a depressive state to say like, like, no, but also please stay. And um, so I pretty much trained myself to be in a constant space of like, I'm never going to ask for respect. And I'm never going to stand by a boundary because I don't know what that means if someone leaves me and then I'm alone because I've never, I've never just done the alone thing, you know, um, even though I constantly kind of feel alone. So I, I also just told a guy that I love that he needs to just figure out how to grow up and then he can call me when he's ready. And I'm owning that he may not call me, but I'm respecting myself by not educating a 46-year-old man. It's okay to cry. It's, it is okay to mourn uh, the loss of of whatever it is, of a relationship or of your family or of, um, you know, your innocence. Like it really is okay to mourn those things. I think that sometimes with our society, we are kind of taught to, like you said before, man up, you know, like pick yourself up, get over it, dry your tears, uh, keep moving. And even I, on my Instagram, I always really hesitate from saying cliche things because uh, I'm sure that you guys know hearing something cliche does not help. Like if I'm talking to someone and someone goes, Hey, you know what? You're not alone. Oh, thank you. you you solved all of my problems. They're like, no, that doesn't help, you know? Like, and so I am a really big advocate of, you know, sometimes things just suck, you know, and sometimes you're just sad and I'm not going to tell you to like, you know, tomorrow's going to be better or to pick your, your head up or just make yourself busy. Like, no, like, cry. If you need to take a day, do it. If you need to take a week, do it. Um, I wish I actually, yeah, I wish I would have told myself that. And I wish I would have, one thing I tell people a lot now when people privately talk to me about this stuff is, um, if you're depressed, feel it and feel it and it's okay. And if you are in a space where you are danger to yourself, then do something. But otherwise, if you can't get out of bed today, don't. But all you have to do is put your feet on the ground. And then if you have to lay back down, okay. And then tomorrow you're going to put your feet on the ground and you're going to stand up. And then you can go back to bed if you need. And the next day, get up, put your feet on the ground, stand up, take a shower, and then go back to bed if you need. Like sometimes that's what you need to do. And when you try to rush it, it's only going to, again, uh, cause a fire down the road at some point. talk a lot about my mental health on social media and I am so blessed that I get a lot of people who will send me a message and they'll say, Hey Sarah, like I didn't know that you suffer from depression and we'll talk about it. And sometimes I get a little tough and I go, Hey, listen, here's what you need to understand. Like you suffer from depression, but guess what? You are not an Island. You are not special. You want to feel 
like you are alone because you're not talking to the right people or you're not sharing your story, but you're not an island. And sometimes people will react to that and they go, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me. I go, you're not an island. Like you're not just drifting around by yourself. Like I, I suffer from depression. Like this person suffers from depression. Like a lot of us are out here. So it's so easy when you have a, a, a mental illness to feel alone and feel like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And you isolate yourself, right? And when you remind, like that's the one thing that sometimes grounds me where I go, I'm I'm not an island. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not special. Like there's someone in the same building as me that's upstairs in their bed. <sighs> and I'm like, we're all in this together. It's really easy when you're in the depths of depression or manic or any of those type of things to think, um, like, why is this happening to me? Why is this my life? Why is it that I look at other people and things just seem easier for them? You know, like I also um, am single and it's been it's been a thorn in my side for 10 years. You know, like I have struggled so much with relationships and it's one of those things for me where I go, what, like, why is it that I see, and this sounds bad, but I, I own it. And I've actually talked about it where I see women that are complete B I T C H's with rings on their finger. Like I'm so nice. What the heck? You know, like, and I, I, I have those moments and the only thing I can tell myself is I have to trust that I'm going through this because it has nothing to do with me. I have to trust that God said, unfortunately, this is your path and it's going to suck. And I promise at some point it's going to suck less, but it's going to suck. But I need you to do it because someone is going to need to hear that they are not alone. And so I think like the first time that I posted something on Instagram about like, I'm depressed. Like I had maybe one or two people who were like, oh, I would never have thought that you're someone who's depressed. I'm depressed. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, hey, look, see, see, you're, you're doing it. You know, like, and as I've gotten better at posting on Instagram about it, I, I get that stuff where someone will DM me and they go, hey, I thank you so much for sharing that you attempted suicide. Um, I actually attempted suicide last year and I haven't told anybody. And okay, let's talk about it. You know, like I, you shouldn't be ashamed. Sometimes that happens. I'm happy that you didn't succeed. You know, I always tell people, I go, if I was better at math, I wouldn't be here. I tried to overdose and I suck at multiplication. Like, and that's, it's okay. It's okay, you know, cause I'm here. I get to talk about it. And I actually just had this conversation with my mother because um, two days ago, I posted about uh, the epiphany I had regarding the second rape uh, that was at the hands of my first boyfriend. And I talked about how it made me feel. And the process, I, I just cried for the first time. It happened when I was 17. I just cried for the first time about it on Saturday. And I was processing a ton of stuff and I thought, okay, I should probably share this, you know? And I wrote about it and I had DMs, uh, uh, people messaging me saying, hey, Sarah, I was when I was uh, 15. I related so much to this. Hey, Sarah, I was um, molested at this age. Hey, Sarah, like, thank you so much for writing this because I do struggle to remind myself it is not my fault. Um, I And then I actually said, you know what? F it, I'm posting it on Facebook, right? I posted it there, immediately my mother calls me. Sarah, that's not appropriate to share. 
uh, I don't like the picture you posted with it, what you said, that's too much, it's too much. You don't need to put your personal life out there. And I said, mom, it's not, it's not for me. And this post is not for you then. Like the person it's for, they'll see it and they'll hear it. And that's all that matters. And they don't even have to tell me. They just have to read it and go, okay, well, she seems pretty strong and that happened to her and okay. You know, it, this, what happened to me has nothing to do with my strength. Um, and that helps, you know, and I, as sure as rain, I had someone who messaged me, Hey Sarah, um, I struggle a lot talking about this. Um, my mother still denies it. I was molested by a family member at 13 and I often talk about how it's my fault and awesome. You know? And like, so I stand by it's, it just, I can't be shy about it because it's not even my story, you know? It's not for me. Every rock in my road is not my rock. It's just when you are encouraging and empowering yourself, please remember, never say but. You are a smart, uh, productive, encouraging, great person. And it's not, but I have mental illness or but sometimes i'm crazy we are not erasing all of who you are because of this one thing i am smart and empowering and supportive and i have mental health issues and i just want everybody to remember that like it's all a part of you and who you are as a person is really strengthened by all the the, the things that make up who you are For more information, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.